make the most of your life. When you remove the blocks that are holding you back, you can bring inspiration, passion, and purpose to yourself and those around you. This is the Hoffman Connection with your hosts, Raz Ingrassi and Ed McLoon. Our hosts and their guests will give you the tools that you need to improve yourself by bringing you closer to what really matters. Now, here's your host. Welcome to the Hoffman Connection. Uh, this is Raz Ingrassi with Ed McLoon, our guest uh, host. I mean, not our guest host, our co-host. <laughs> and we're coming to you live from beautiful Northern California in the San Francisco Bay. And I am... Uh, a Hoffman teacher and a founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation, and Ed is a uh, Hoffman teacher and therapist. If you've never heard of the Hoffman Institute, we're celebrating 45 years as one of the world's leading personal development programs helping people who are serious about change. We have 16 sites around the world, helped over 80,000 people worldwide with our amazing eight-day retreat of personal development and discovery. Um, Ed, are you, uh, you're with us, right? I'm definitely with you, Raz. All right. I'm not going to leave you this, this soon in the show. Anyway. Yeah, I'm a, a teacher of the process, been so for a little over 20 years and a marriage and family therapist here in Northern California. And our purpose here on the Hoffman Connection is to inspire, to educate, and to bring you tools to help you to connect to a life you love. We put on the Hoffman Quadrinity process about 30 times a year just here in the United States in both coasts. And um, if you'd like to learn more about the Hoffman process or anything we're up to, you can um, go to our website, hoffmaninstitute.org. And there on our website, um, there's a button you can click to get more information about a weekly introduction call that happens every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock Pacific time. And um, again, that's hoffmaninstitute.org to find out more about the Hoffman process and to find out how to get in touch with us regarding the introduction call. And also, I, I want to plug this early in the show, there's also information about there and how to call in to ask questions about uh, of our guests this afternoon because hmm, quite possibly one of the most uh, asked questions that we teachers get after the Hoffman process revolve around parenting children. And our guest, Raz, will introduce you to knows quite a bit about that. And so, Raz, why don't we um, just send it to you and introduce Susan this afternoon. Yeah, well, we are so excited to have Susan Stiffelman with us today. She embodies a unique blend of first being a licensed psychotherapist and a credentialed teacher, but she's a down-to-earth mom, and she's written a, an amazing book called Parenting Without Power Struggles, Raising Joyful, Resilient Kids While Staying Cool, Calm, and Connected. And um, she's not only well-known for that book, but for various television appearances and she's a weekly writer for the Huffington Post giving you know not only writing but dispensing advice because uh, and I'm sure she gets a lot of very interesting questions but her book and her website by the same name parentingwithoutpowerstruggles.com offers a uh, really solid kind of rubber meets the road advice that's been thoroughly tested on kids of all ages and demographics and uh She's got training, she's got experience, she's raised her own son, and she also has a spiritually based understanding of people uh, that informs everything she does. She's been around the world, she's a world traveler, innovative teacher, and uh, in a lot of ways an out-of-the-box thinker, so we're really happy to have Susan with us today. Welcome, Susan. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a real treat. It is for us, too. And so one of the things that you're most famous for is a saying that parents should be captain of the ship of their child's life. And what do you mean by that? Aren't, aren't, aren't progressive parents going to argue back that uh, this is a throwback to the 50s when parents are saying, do it because I said so? What's, <laughs> yeah. what's the difference? What are you saying there? So what I'm saying is that human beings need, you know, we come, we're born with a, a innate helplessness and a need for somebody to be in charge. And our children really benefit, I mean, that's an understatement, they require, they desperately need us to be not their friend necessarily, although there's moments when you're, you know, buddies, but they need us to demonstrate through how we interact with them, how we navigate the ups and downs of their lives, that we can handle whatever happens, whatever storms come. So I've used this captain of the ship analogy just because it works. It sort of fell fell into my lap and... um the way that I probably can demonstrate it most simply is if you imagine that your right hand represents you as the parent and your left hand is the child and you ball your hands into a fist and held them out in front of you. When your right hand is above your left, that's captain of the ship. So that means that you're in charge. You're the one kind of handling whatever might happen. So your child might say, um, Daddy, can I have some cookies before dinner? And you might think that's not a good idea, so you might say, Sweetie, I'm afraid not. Now, if you then get involved in explaining, rationalizing while your child, you know, starts to pitch a fit, then your hands move from right hand above left to the two hands being side by side. Nobody's in charge here, and I call this the two lawyers. <laughs> right. Why can't I have cookies? Well, because you won't eat your dinner. Yes, I will. No, last night I gave you cookies. You didn't eat your dinner. That's because you made that weird stew. I hate that stew. What do you mean you hate that stew? Grandma makes that stew and you eat it up. So nobody's in charge here, and this is where you have a lot of power struggles and pushing and negotiating and battling. And the final piece, when the left hand or the child's hand is above the right, you're down below as the parent, the way you know that is that inside yourself you feel desperate and out of control. And so in some effort to recover or have a semblance of control, which is not what I teach, by the way, you bribe threaten. You issue for ultimate, and I call this the tyrant. So it's a, it's a false sense of power, and it, it doesn't, it's not about, being the captain of the ship is not about control. It's about calmly and confidently being in charge, even when your kids don't like you, even when they want to do something or they reveal something that they've done or, or is going on that really upsets you. And so, yeah, I would say that that's a, a catch-all phrase for what I teach, but it's very much not a throwback to the 50s. It's, it's a, an egalitarian thing because ultimately we're helping our kids become captains of their own ship. Well, it sounds to me like it's easy, having raised a couple of kids with my wife, uh, sounds like it's easier said than done. <laughs> I know that uh, kids are often pushing our buttons and all kinds of things are going on in the environment. Um, how, how do you bring this about? I mean, what, what is your primary, I get the, I get the concept of it. Mm-hmm. Now, what about making it happen? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, if, especially if you're, let's say your kid is five years old and you really didn't, really didn't raise him this way up until this point and you realize, Good God, things are going out of control here. How yeah. do you how do you get to be the captain again? Yeah, great question. And you know, they may be fifteen, they may be twenty five. I used to write okay. a column for parents whose kids were in their forties and fifties for grandparents dot com. <laughs> 
So first of all, it's never too late, you know, because we're wired to, to be biased toward attachment. It's such a primal need. So one of the pieces that goes into being captain of the ship has to do with attachment and connection. Um, the fact is human beings are wired to resist coercion, and that's actually a really good thing. So Mother Nature, as usual, knew what she was doing when she created this instinct, this instinctive response that if a stranger approaches your three-year-old and says, come with me, what do you want the child to do? Say, no, thank you. Yeah. And then they run back and to... Run, run, run is what you want them to do. If yeah. You, so that instinct is, is really a survival instinct. The way we override that and position ourselves to be the one the child wants to run to and take direction from and advice and counsel is first and foremost attachment. And I use a model developed by a wonderful man named Gordon Newfeld, and he talks about the six stages of, of attachment that children move through in their first six years of life. Um, quickly, I'll just name them. Proximity, sameness, belonging and loyalty, significance, love, and being known. But the great thing about that model is that it's not like it's over when your child's sick. So if you want to be the captain of the ship and you've got a 5-year-old or a 12-year-old, you still start feeding connection through these six inroads. And that's one of the three or four pieces that, that are part and parcel of becoming that captain. Another has to do with managing your reactions. And I think this is something that the Hoffman you know, process was so helpful for with me in terms of helping me kind of untangle what was what my stuff was from my own childhood that was getting projected into my parenting uh, experiences as I parented my own son, you know. So the things that triggered me that were unfinished or, or hadn't been cleaned up that were addressed in, Ho- in the Hoffman process um, when I did it really made a shift for me in terms of holding that place and not getting as triggered or needing my child to behave a particular way so I felt like I was a worthwhile human being or I got the kudos I was looking for, the approval or whatever it was. So I'll yeah, leave you with those two. There's more, but I'll, I'll pause well, those are great. Those are great thoughts uh, for us because, you know, a couple of things that spring to mind as you were speaking are, you know, being captain of the ship, it means that you're going to keep that ship afloat. You're going to go through stormy seas. You're going to avoid the rocks. You're going to uh, navigate and, uh, you know, that people are, that, that who's on that ship is safe. And yeah. I think that's one of the really important points, that you don't want a child managing the ship uh, until, and, and so the idea, as I'm taking it from you, is that as your child grows up, you start giving them the helm. You start um, mm-hmm. ch- teaching them how to be the captain of their own ship. Is that Absolutely. Is that the Absolutely. Because, there? you know, I often say we're actually, we're not raising children. We're raising adults. Right. And we have this very brief window where we have them under our roof and we, you know, cook and, and drive and put them to bed and, you know. But the, the bulk of their lives, hopefully, is going to be on their own. And, and so our job really is to both guide them and help them learn how to, for instance, how to manage frustration. When a child's frustrated, um, and this is going to carry over through for all of us into adulthood, we all have disappointments in life, things that that don't go the way we would like them to. The way I talk about those things is that they're they're like a loss. And I use Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's model of DABDA, you know, where we we experience the denial and the anger and the bargaining and 
the sadness or depression when we suffer a loss so that we can ultimately accept, you know, that this person is gone. But any loss for a child, you know, the child who wants the cookies before dinner, that's, that's a frustration in the sense of the loss of the hoped-for thing. And frustration only has two outcomes. It only has, there's only two things that are going to happen when you're frustrated. One is that you're going to accept, you know, you're not getting the cookies, you're not going to get the house that you wanted, or your, your, your job offer was declined or whatever. Or two, you become aggressive. And it's either aggression toward others, toward the dog, toward your wife or husband, your kids, your boss, or yourself. We see this a lot with a, a depression. And so the captain of the ship, I, I loved what you said about navigating the stormy seas. What our children need from us isn't for us to fix everything that happens to them that's unpleasant or difficult, but they need us to start equipping them with the tools that they'll keep using throughout their lives to cope with the disappointments. And um, that is really captaining your ship. That's a great start to the show. We're with Susan Stiffelman here on the Hoffman Connection. We'd love for you to participate if you'd like to. Our phone in line is 866-472-5788, 472-5788 with the uh, area code 866, and it's toll free. We'll be back with author of Parenting Without, Part- er, Without Power Struggles, uh, Susan Stiffelman, right after this on the Hoffman Connection. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. Again, that's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. This is Raz Grassi, and we're here with our co-host, Ed McClune, and we're speaking with Susan Stiffelman, who is the author of a 
really terrific book, Parenting Without Power Struggles, based on her work with thousands of parents and children from celebrities to everyday mom and dads. And uh, she's also got a terrific website called ParentingWithoutPowerStruggles.com. And she's a weekly writer for the Huffington Post on this very subject. Susan, I wanted to ask you um, about the idea or the, the, the notion of seeing having children as a, as an opening into your into yourself as a pathway for your own work and by that i mean that um in in a certain sense uh, i mean i don't think anyone had perfect parents and so in, in a certain sense as our children are going through their developmental stages we're having a chance to revisit those same stages in ourselves from the other side from the uh-huh. parent child from the parent child instead of the child parent side and um it just seems to me that parents who are aware of what's going on inside of them and working on their own issues if you will uh with conscious awareness are just going to be better or stronger or more effective parents does that seem right to you oh my gosh it's really it's it's just everything it's everything i think that children raising a child calls forth in us um, muscles and limbs and capacities that we had no idea we had, at least speaking from my own experience, and I worked with children as a teacher and a therapist before I even had one, that, you know, I kept looking around the room for the grown-up, <laughs> realizing that it was me, and I was being invited to step into a, a different version of myself, a much more authentic version of myself, but it forced a lot of growth and a lot of stretching, and I think that, again, you know that that what I things like Hoffman, where you're really um, you're really coming to terms with um, you know expre- going through the grieving process and the forgiveness process and the the untangling, as I said, of your own childhood. It's called. There's actually a phrase called "ghosts in the nursery," so that as your child is two, three, five, seven, oh, nine. Scary. Sorry. Is it? It sounds kind of scary. Ghosts in the nursery. <laughs> well, it's more that the fact that as you're that we do kind of revisit our own childhood as our children are growing up, and and I think we're given an opportunity to understand better what went on for us, and of course to do it differently with our own kids. Nothing, nothing, you know, because the love is so profound and that um, protective mechanism, the desire to make things okay for your kids often much greater than it is for ourselves. You know, a lot of people will spend money on their kids that they would never spend on themselves. Um, that I think that that can really be like a, you know, rocket fuel for us to grow ourselves. And and even parents, you know, I do a lot of work with parents who, who are separated or divorced, and yet they're co-parenting. And I, I have said, you know, based on my experience, nothing made me really grow up like figuring out how to do that in a way that didn't, too badly entangle my son in what I was having to stretch into, you know, to be the person that I needed to be for him. And um, so I think parenting is is really the ultimate spiritual path and and path to really growing growing our hearts and spirits um, into all that they can be. Hey, Susan, we've got a caller on the line, Renee. Um, let's go to her, see if she's still yes. on there. Hi, Renee, how are you? Hi, how are you? Doing well, welcome. Hi, Renee. Hi. So my question is, I have two boys. Um, they're 10 and 8, 
and um, or actually 11 and 8, and they constantly are at each other. They just continually fight. They just, they don't listen, and I'm just wondering, like, I've read your book, um, Parenting Without Power Struggles, and definitely taken some tips from that, but I just need that, I guess, the key. What's the key to get them to listen? <laughs> you know, one of the things that we want to do with siblings is it's called matchmaking. So... Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's several things, but that's one. One of them is where you you allow each of your boys to hear you independently, you know, just when you're one-on-one. Okay. Tell them sort of in a secretive, you know, way. Do you know that this morning, Bobby, when you were telling that joke, you should have, I wish you could have seen your brother's face. He's mm-hmm. just awed by how clever you are in the way you deliver the punchline. And then, you know, you do something similar. You know, I saw your, your big brother watching you when you were, you know, playing with the dog, and, you know, you have such a way with animals, and I think he really is touched by that. Uh-huh. Now, it's certainly not the only thing that I would recommend, but it's, you know, it's... So it's just give quick... them positive tips about each other. Yeah, and, and it's okay. not, as opposed to lecturing them about how they should love each other, and you only have one brother, and, you know, exactly. when you, you know, like all that stuff, I talk about coming at kids versus alongside them. Uh-huh. Many times when... Uh, if you heard the, the or you read the book, that when the right hand is below the left and we're feeling kind of out of control, right. we may be feeling out of control because we're troubled and unhappy that our kids are unhappy. Mm-hmm. And, and in an effort to, for ourselves to feel better, we try and fix their problems. We rush to the punchline and we try and make things good again. When instead what we really need or what our children really need is for us to come alongside them, not with advice that they aren't ready to hear, I call that mm-hmm. crashing the party. Right. But where we're saying, you know, sweetie, I noticed that it's been really rough with your brother lately. I'd love to hear more about that. How's that been for you? He may just want to be the outlet he needs to offload some of the frustration that is building building up. And... Okay. Got it. All right. Thank you. And, Renee, thanks for your call at 866. Susan, I just wanted to ask, you know, besides, it it sounds as if there's a lot of um, people who are looking for you for tips, like that wonderful one, and as a a dad now and a granddad myself, all these things, you know, kind of resonate with my experience, but other than, or along with tips, um, can you talk about a ground of being as being a parent, how you're holding yourself? I mean, the, the captain analogy is a great one, but can you speak more about just who you are as a parent or who ideally we are as parents? Um, I think for me personally, who I am as a parent, is, you know, I feel incredibly blessed to be a parent and to have the son I have. I have a really great kid who I like immensely and <laughs> love enormously and has taught me so much about who I want to be. And I think that, um, you know, I'm not, as opposed to just delivering tips, you know, my goal in the work that I do is really to create a tribe of parents who understand that it's not just about scripting, you know, what you say when your kid, one kid bites the other or won't do their homework. So as much as I'm happy to answer questions and provide tips, I think what you may be getting at is that there's an overarching kind of picture here, which is that that it's not so much about getting things done on the list every day, which lots of parents get caught up in because it is tiring. And a lot of us are, are, I call it, lost to the list, that parenting becomes about, 
you know, getting your kids to wake up in the morning, get dressed, eat food, get out the door, come home, do homework, practice piano, and that parenting really is much more about what I said earlier, helping, helping equip your child with the tools that he or she will need to to have a really wonderful adult life. And um, so I I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my first stab at it. That was a good stab. <laughs> it, it, it goes back, I think, you know, I, uh, to the distinction you were making about coming at versus coming alongside of, and that that's such, you know, in 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 art and movies, that the image of an adult, whether it's a parent or a mentor, coming alongside the chat the child mm. is is a really powerful one, I think. Just while we're in the in the middle here, um, I just want to put out the phone line again. So Renee helped us out with a question, and, and if you'd like to participate, um, the phone line here is eight six six four seven two fifty seven eighty eight four seven two fifty seven eighty eight. Um, you come out and say that kids are wired to resist being bossed around. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's true, how can we get them to whatever um, <laughs> command authoritatively? I guess. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, when I speak, I speak all over the country, and and I almost always will invite someone from the audience to come up to the front of the room. I don't tell them what we're going to do. I ask them to face me and put their hands out, and I put my palms against theirs, and I start pushing. And what do you think they do? Push harder. Yeah, they push back. And so that's coming at. Coming at means start your homework. It's already, you know, 8 o'clock. You haven't even begun. Or turn the TV off and come to dinner. I've told you now three times. That's coming at. Now, I'm not in any way suggesting, and I always have to say this, because I'm not suggesting that you sit down and have a 25-minute conversation every time you want your kid to come to dinner or turn off the TV where you explore their feelings about it. Nothing could be further from the truth about me. I'm very practical. But what I do know is that that instinct to be resistant is influenced heavily by how connected a child feels to you. And so coming alongside, part of it has to do with are you putting in time, are you putting money in the emotional relationship bank account with your child where you simply look for them at a random time and say, you want to play checkers or, you know, let's make some... Um, pie or, you know, I have a great joke to tell you. It doesn't have to be a, a, a two-hour involvement, by the way, especially with teenagers. It's not likely that they want to necessarily spend two hours with you. It might be ten minutes, but you're you're letting your child know that you like them, that you see who they are, that you get them, that that their unique qualities and characteristics are pleasing to you. They, they, you know, there's a sense of transmission of love that you deliver when you're together that it's not all about getting things done and when kids smell that when you know when they know that we have an agenda in other words and that when we show up in their room it's pretty much going to be about getting them to do something then they're not going to be very cooperative and they are going to be resistant and we would be coming at but coming alongside would be you know honey i can tell that you're really enjoying this show it looks like this is really one of your favorites. Oh, is that the guy who's da 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 da? And one of the things I teach is called Act One Parenting, and I can say more about that if you'd like. But one of the pieces of that is that you're looking for a child to nod his head or say yes at least three times. And it sounds formulaic, but it actually works because 
if I'm saying, you know, it looks like this is a really cool show, I think this is one of your favorites, oh, that guy looks, is he the, and the child's sort of nodding and, and, you know, his guard is, you know, he's letting his guard down. You then have a more natural way of coming alongside him and saying, you know, that's so cool and I've never seen this before, I'm really glad I got to watch it, and um, sweetheart, let's, uh, let's, let's go head down to dinner. So there's just a different energy, it's not a needy energy from you. Um, when you're needing something from your child, the right hand is below the left, and you come across in this desperate way, and kids are really turned off by that. Right. They can smell neediness a mile away. Yeah. We're going to take and a break. Yeah, exploit it joyfully. We're going to um, go to break uh, just straight away right now. We'd love to invite any of you who have questions for our guest, Susan Stiffelman, to give us a call at 866-472-5788. 866-472-5788. And again, we'll be right back with Susan Stiffelman on the Hoffman Connection. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And before we get back with more questions of Susan Stiffelman, I wanted to... uh, Remind us all, the picnic's coming up this weekend, Raz, the annual Hoffman Picnic Celebration Fundraiser up at White Sulphur Springs in St. Helena. Yes, it's free and it's a lot of fun. All kinds of, well, there'll be a few hundred people there, Hoffman people all, except for the kids, which are, who are always welcome and, and other friends. But the entire site up there at White Sulphur Springs is just for fun. Everyone's, you know, some people are around the pool, some people are doing other things. We have fabulous food catered by um, Insuladas, and it, it's all just available for Hoffman graduates, a celebration of uh, our relationship and love with one another. 
Yeah, and their friends can come who are not graduates as well or yeah. family members. All enjoy the pools and the company and the great food and, and music this year, too. And then there's the raffle. The raffle is, in a way, that we all gather around and, and we, we always have children reach into that uh, sort of raffle barrel and pull out the tickets. But uh, fantastic prizes this year. And uh, as always, I mean, we've got just a, some are international. I mean, uh, plane tickets for two to Europe. Uh, hotel stays. I think there's a Hoffman process. Some of our programs, coaching from teachers. Teachers have put up a lot of coaching sessions this year. And so, uh, enter the raffle. I mean, it's fantastic. You can just call the Hoffman Institute and enter the raffle. And, uh, uh, we want to encourage everyone to do it. And the, of course, the raffle and is, is a fundraiser for our scholarship fund, which is so important to all of us that allows for a much greater cross-section of people to take the process. And so join in. It's just Saturday, the 18th. Very good. Uh, yeah, we're, we're coming back to Susan, and we just want to remind everybody that Susan Stiffelman is the author of Parenting Without Power Struggles. She's a psychotherapist, credential teacher, and m- probably most important, she's a mom, and she's worked her way through uh uh, act one and act two. She's got a model she calls act one and act two parenting and seems to make a lot of sense. Susan, could you talk to us a little bit about what that is? Oh, sure. Okay. So most of us, let's just imagine, in fact, if you want to play it out, it can be uh, fun. Imagine that you're my son, one of you, and you deliver a complaint. Maybe it's about school or homework or practicing your trombone, and one of you want to play that part with me, and we'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. I'll do it. Okay, let's right. go. Okay, so, you're, so go you're ahead. my eight-year-old, and let's hear what you're upset about. Mom, I, I, you know, my friend John just is really bugging me these days. I, I like to walk to school with him, but now he's just teasing me all the time, and he's being really, uh, you know, almost like a bully, and he's not, he's not like a good friend anymore. I don't know what to do. All right, so I'm going to demonstrate what many of us do, and I call it Act 2 parenting. And there is a time and a place for Act 2, but I want you to see how this feels when I just start coming at you with Act 2 and I skip Act 1. Well, Raz, you know, why don't you just try being a little friendly or maybe just ignore him? Or are you you doing something maybe that's bugging him? Mom? Yeah. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> well, I don't know, because I've seen you sometimes with him, and I think you could be a little bit friendlier. I noticed one day that you were together, and he wanted to look at your, you know, cards, and you wouldn't let him. I mean, maybe you're not, you know. Okay, so how did that feel, Rev? Terrible. I want to fight with you about it. Yeah, you exactly. You don't, you don't get what's going on for me. No. So Bad that's mom. act two. <laughs> Right, and I came at you, didn't I? I crashed yeah. the party with advice that you had no interest in hearing. Right. So you weren't receptive, you weren't open, I hadn't prepared the soil, I threw the seeds on the dry, scratchy dirt. So here's what Act One's going to be, and I just want to say a couple things about it, and then I'll demonstrate it. Act One, first of all, um, I'm not needy. So remember the hand position again. My hand is on, on top, meaning I can handle the reality that my child is unhappy. I don't need him to be happy either because I can't bear it or because it makes me feel like an inadequate parent in some way. The other thing is that I'm going slower and I'm not wordy. Act two, which is what I just did, is where we barrage our kids with left brain, uh, logical, rational, language-based advice. Okay, so there's a lot of words in act two. 
and I'm appealing to your left logical brain. But the problem is when a child's upset, he doesn't have a left logical brain. You know, the volume's turned way down. I mean, he has one, but he's not, he's not in it. He's not processing what you're saying from a rational place. He's over in his right emotional brain where we need to go and retrieve him and, re- and help rescue him in a sense from the big feelings, the stormy feelings that he's experiencing. So act one is not worthy. You're going to hear me say things like, oh, mm, darn, really? Gosh, wow. I call it comic book language. Wow, pow, bam, right? And I'm pacing it differently. I'm digesting what he says so he really feels that he's being heard. And the biggest thing, as I mentioned earlier, is I'm helping him feel heard by getting him to nod his head or say yes at least three times. So he has the experience that I'm really getting what he's experiencing, what what's going on for him. And I, I talk about how Act 1 has a theme song, and the name of the theme song is really, What Is It Like to Be You? So I'm listening with a much more quiet mind. I'm more willing to hear his truth, even if it's hard to hear, even if I find out he's unpopular or, you know, there's, believe me, you know, as your kids get older, there's all, you've, you've seen it, both of you, I'm sure, you find condoms in your 15-year-old's bedroom. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities here for learning to manage our reactions so our kids know they can tell us their truth. So let's demonstrate now what Act 1 would be like with the same complaint. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. So, Mom, I'm really, I really hate Johnny. You know, we've been walking to school for a long time, mm-hmm. but now he's just such a terrible guy. He's Aww. teasing me, and it's not fun oh, anymore. Oh, lovey. I hate him. Yeah, that sounds pretty awful. Yeah, well, he's 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 just, you know, always poking at me and just oh, gosh. I don't even like him anymore. Uh-huh. He you used to like him, but now you don't even like him. I used to like him a lot, but Yeah. He's and he won't play baseball with, with oh, us. Oh, honey. So he's not only poking you, he's not playing the games you you used to really like to play with him. Right. Yeah, boy, that's really tough. I'm sorry. Well, I don't want to be. A, I don't want to see him anymore. So if he comes over and rings the doorbell, uh-huh. I don't want you to answer it. Or just tell him I'm not home. Right. You just want me to kind of lie so that you're you're protected from him. Well, I don't know. I don't want you. I don't know. I just don't want to be yeah. around around him. I don't. What Boy, should I do? Honey. I okay, know. so that's great, Raz. So what happened here is you. You know, how was that for you? Well, I felt like you were you were there for me. Right. And yeah. that you were empathizing with me, even if you didn't give me an answer, which exactly. I, you know, at least I, you were there and you understood me. Yeah. You see, the temptation for most parents is to give the answer because we're so uncomfortable with our child's uh, difficulties that we want to fix it. But mm. he's not in any shape right now to hear my answer or to act on it. He might have even said, so what should I do? But until I, I have the sense that he's actually ready to hear and also, if and when we we move into an act two, I might I might say, you know, sweetie, gosh, this is pretty big stuff. Would you like my input? So I ask to be invited to the party. I ask, I check in with him to see if he wants me to engage with him in a collaborative problem-solving experience, meaning that he'll then be signed up for some of the solutions that the two of us might generate, as opposed to me saying, well, why don't you do this? Oh, I already tried that. Why don't you try this? Nah, that would never work. That's what many parents get when they try and help their right. kids. I think well, you can probably relate to that. I want to ask a follow-up question. You, I, I get the theory of it, and that's terrific. However, here's my my question of you: um, When 
my child's right brain is triggered, it's mm-hmm. emotional, mm-hmm. they're triggering, that's going to trigger my right brain too, mm-hmm. and I'm going to feel it emotionally. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was just thinking about, as you were speaking, I was thinking about when I'm on, when my child's uncomfortable, I become uncomfortable. Yeah. And what I'm really responding to is my discomfort. Yep. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find a way for me to be comfortable again. And so I want to manage, shut down, divert, do something with my mm-hmm. kids' emotions so that I don't have to feel them. I don't well, have to yeah. feel my own and emotions. It's what you were saying before, you know, about the, you know, when I mentioned ghosts in the nursery, it's like we end up re- reliving some, some of the pain of our own childhood. So if chances are pretty good that as as a child I might have been bullied or excluded by a friend or somebody didn't want to play with me who had once been a close friend and now I'm trying to heal that through my son so let me quickly fix your problem so I can have some sense of closure with my own but this is where as we talked about earlier your own work your own personal work your own growth stretches you to make room for you to actually be okay with your child not having everything go hit, go well. So and, a lot of it's about feelings, isn't it? I mean, um, yeah. when if when I was a kid, I remember, I mean, this is true for me, my dad would not let me cry. If I was crying, he would uh-huh. tell me to stop crying. And um, it, it is then, I mean, I, I did the Hoffman process when our kids were four and six, but and it changed a lot for me. It changed everything, I would say. But what I'm trying to get at is I would have tended to not let my kids cry because mm-hmm. if my son was crying, it would trigger the pain I felt when my dad wouldn't let me cry, so I'd want to stop him from crying. Yeah. And so we just we just passed that pain yeah. down from generation to generation. So part of the secret I'm hearing from you is be willing to to be present to one's own discomfort. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes I get calls from my son who, you know, something's up for him, something didn't work out, something, and, you know, my heart is breaking in the one, on the one hand, but what I understand is that my best, his best use of me, the greatest contribution I can make is to support him, to help him put into words or feel heard around his feelings, to to feel them, to live through them, to you know, not mask them, not to drink, not to distract himself, but to just mm-hmm. know and trust that if he feels that disappointment, it does like a wave, you know, crash and then recede again. And that I think again, going back to the Hoffman process, that the that the patterns that we learn about that are so embedded in our ourselves that we aren't even aware of what we're doing a lot of times as parents because it's just how our parents raised us and we instinctively do the same thing or we oppose that same thing. Um, so bringing conscious awareness to what it is about our child's discomfort that's making it hard to, to do what he really needs, which is probably to feel sad and cry. Because if you mm. go back to the Kubler-Ross model, the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, the DABDA, what I see a lot with kids who are chronically frustrated, chronically angry or aggressive, I say that they're stuck in the DAB. Right? They're right. stuck in the denial. You know, eventually she'll wear down and buy me that cool, uh, you know, dress. Anger, I hate you, Mom, you never buy me anything. I want that dress so badly. Or the bargaining, Mommy, if you buy me that dress, I'll never ask for anything again. So the kids who hang out in those three stages, whose parent doesn't want them to be sad, 
is not really doing them any favors because your real job is to help them feel their sadness and move through to acceptance. Boy, Susan, you know, as somebody who's been teaching the Hoffman process for a long time, what you're bringing to us today and to your readers is, I think, some of the most primary concerns that all of us as parents or parents-to-be have. The richness of what's going on here today is amazing. We've got one more uh, short segment, and we want to take a quick break right now. If you'd like to join us, there might be time to squeeze in one more phone call at 866-472-5788, and we will be right back on the Hoffman Connection. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And that hoffmaninstitute.org website also has information about our weekly uh, introductory call. It's confidential. If you have questions about the Hoffman process, you can find out more at hoffmaninstitute.org. And while we're talking about finding out more, um, Susan, how can people access more of your information, your wisdom, your your knowledge of parenting? Oh, okay. So I have that website, Parenting Without Power struggles.com and there's a, a sign up for the newsletter that comes out about once a month and then I'm much more active on Facebook and Twitter um, I have a Facebook page where almost every day I'm engaging with parents who are there and they're starting to get to know one another that's sort of what I am, um, have made the tribal meeting place right. so the Facebook page would be a great way as well to participate in this conversation and keep learning 
And of course, the book. You know, <laughs> right. Bookstores and most bookstores are carrying it, as well as uh, online retailers. And um, I'm and coming books. up with a webinar. It should be out in the next month, where I'm going to actually be teaching the ideas that I um, offer in the book and in in my work through video and you know interactive stuff and worksheets. And I, I'm really excited about it. I, I want to be able to reach parents around the world in a more intimate way, and I think that's going to make it happen. Susan, I have a question for you. There are so many um, marriages that, I mean, so many kids are in, what do you call it, blended families these mm-hmm. days. And um, is there anything in your book that would help step-parents get along better with mm-hmm. their step-kids? Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? It's so huge. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, you know, first of all, when you marry someone, you're you're really marrying their children as well. You, you know, you're you're taking the whole package. And... And you might, you may be the other parent, you know, for your own children, but you're really going to be more like the, the beloved, hopefully, uncle or aunt for a time. And you have to understand that this is a very delicate situation. Uh, a lot depends, of course, on what kind of contact that child has with their other biological parent. Um, but it's, it's so important to use the stages of attachment. I, I, I've heard many times from step-parents how helpful that is to really not come at the kids, to not push your way into their lives, but to build attachment using those six inroads, you know, where you're inviting the child to do something with you. You're letting them know that you you see and celebrate and enjoy some of their quirky, unique qualities. You're, you're maybe letting them overhear or eavesdrop you telling their biological parents something cool that they did that day so that they have the sense that you're a safe addition to the family you're not trying to take the place of the other parent but that you might bring bring another layer of richness and and being seen and enjoyed and understood by a, a safe and loving adult right it sounds so much like um coming alongside of rather than yes. trying to come out with no we're uh there's a new sheriff in town and this yeah, is the way right. things are going to be run now right right yeah i've tried that <laughs> oh, okay yeah that doesn't go over very well <laughs> no no it's a whole like, host of reasons that you, under, you have to understand that the uh, step parent is coming into an already existent culture that you had nothing to do creating yes right exactly and yeah, to try not it, not to try to replace the uh, the other parent, and it's and you know it's a slow process. You really have to be patient. Um, I think this is where a lot of step parents sort of maybe fall things fall apart is that they're they're trying to speed up a process that innately takes quite a bit of time. Um, kids, first of all, may be grieving the loss of the other parent, even if it was a year, two, three, four years ago. There's always this hope that a child has, you know, that they're parents will be reunited. So your arrival as a step-parent signals the, the fact that that dream has been dashed pretty pretty assuredly. And there's also loyalty issues. Um, there may be ways that the other parent isn't showing up that you're willing to show up that you might think really add something to the child but bring up a lot of co- conflict internally because if they really enjoy, you know, the fact that you're finally, you know, they've got a, somebody playing catch with them and their own dad never did, they're going to enjoy it, but there's also a sense of betray. You know, my betraying dad for you know enjoying this with, you know, with Joe. Yeah. So it's a complex thing, and it takes time. I think that's the the biggest piece is that it just requires patience. Well, I got one last question I want to ask you. Okay. 
if a parent's been doing it wrong for years, is it really possible to regain oh. the helm of the ship and become the captain oh. of the kid's ship? Won't the, won't the kids mutiny on them? <laughs> Here's the thing that's so amazing about children. They're so forgiving. It's, it's so humbling to me to work with children, and I've worked with every age, every place, every... The, the, the willingness that a child has to start anew um, just just touches me like nothing else. They're, they're so ready to forgive and to have it be better. Now, that doesn't mean they're instantly, and a lot of kids, if, if it's been really awful, are going to be suspicious and guarded, and rightly so. But one of the things that I talk to parents about who, who get introduced to my work, and because my work, it's not, you know, it, it's not like I'm saying anything remarkable on the one hand, but for many of us, this is not how we were raised. So it doesn't feel natural. At first, it feels counterintuitive to not fix a child's problem or to just help them get offload instead of offer solutions. But it doesn't take long. You know, what we look at are baby step changes, just small course corrections. And I've sometimes advised parents, you know, who say, gosh, I love your work. Your book's incredible. I really want to do this, but, you know, I can't imagine how I can overhaul the way I've been doing things for such a long time. And I'll say to parents, you know, you may, depending on the child's age, you may even say, you know, I'm really uh, in, committed to trying something a little bit different. I'm going to try it. It may seem different or clumsy. And um, let's give it a go because my hope and my goal, honey, is to just be closer to you and have the best relationship with you that I can have. And, you know, kids are almost uniformly responsive to that. They 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 want things to be better and they're willing to kind of, have it be a little messy, a little chaotic, a little sloppy. The other thing, just in, in your question that jumped out at me, if you don't mind me commenting, because um, I hear this a lot, I do it wrong, and I ask parents to take that off the table completely, that the more we think that we're doing that the right or wrong, the more we, we parent from a place of shame and desperation and insecurity, and it really doesn't serve us to think that we're doing it wrong. Just We, we do it the best we can every day, and that's good enough. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Susan, uh, we're going to be ending here, but I just wanted to thank you for being with us today. And thank you most so importantly, much. for all our listeners, access her work through the different connections we've given you. And by the way, we have our wonderful Hoffman picnic happening this next weekend up in the Napa Valley at White Sulphur Springs, our campus and site up there. We want to invite everyone to join us. It starts at noon. And... Uh, it'll be a lot of fun, music, fun, all kinds of crazy things. It's the Summer of Love festivity as we're calling it and uh, please join us and join in our raffle to help raise money for our scholarship fund thank you susan thank you ed uh, great to be here all next week thank you thanks so much thank you again for being a part of the hoffman connection Please join your hosts, Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon, again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, make it an outstanding week.